1: One thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball deep left center, them on the run. Yes! 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 The Atlanta
0: Braves yes! have given you a championship.
1: 25 lighters on my dresser, yes
0: sir. You know i got to get paid.
1: Right center and twenty five lighters on my yes, sir. You know, our to get paid. Swing and drive to right. Welcome to the 25 for my twenty five lighters
0: on my twenty five folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero. This is a special two-episode day for you guys. Why did we split it up into two episodes? Well pretty simple uh we wanted to do a prospect episode which you know how doc and i love to talk about prospects how it tends to go on forever Well, we decided we were going to split this up into two episodes because we wanted to bring on one of our favorite guests that we've ever had on the show This is, i believe his third time making an appearance on the platinum sombrero he is without a doubt the american success story for every braves blogger out there it is the esteemable carlos colazzo thank you so much for joining us again it is a pleasure to have you on
1: yeah, well, thanks for having me back, guys. It's uh, a pleasure to be here, and it's, it's fun to be talking Braves uh, prospects. I feel like for the last few years, really, you didn't really have to focus on Braves prospects as a podcast team. Uh, I know there's maybe three years in the past, but not too distant past, where really the only like, fun thing to talk about was prospects. So I feel like that's a pretty good sign for the organization and where they're at right now, that, that you can avoid prospects a little bit now and still have something fun to talk about.
2: Well, it's so fun to look at the big league roster now, and you see a bunch of guys like Acuna and Freed and Swanson and Albies and, and a whole bunch of guys that were that used to populate these top ten and top thirties that that come out all the time, and now you see them as meaningful contributors on the on the big league roster. It's just it's interesting to watch the evolution of these guys and uh, how things go over time.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that is the, that's the prospect world. Some of these guys are going to hit, and you're going to feel really good about it, but. There are always misses as well, and it seems like the Braves have done a really good job uh, getting a- enough guys to hit that you really have a promising core right now that's already won at a high level and looks to continue winning at a high level for uh, the foreseeable future.
0: I think one of the big differences for me, I got into the prospect game a little bit later than than Doc. I really didn't start getting into the prospect pool until the Braves were really awful, uh, and then I had mm-hmm. to start digging for something to be excited about. But it is really cool to really start to follow these guys when they're in like Rome uh, or even Mississippi, or or even Danville for some of these guys. Rest in peace, Danville. Uh, and you start to see them really grow and mature as players and, and and see them come up to the majors and start to realize some of that potential. And you get some guys that that come up and just perform better than you ever thought they would do, which is why one of my favorite questions on Twitter is whenever they do the threads about uh, prospects that didn't pan out or prospects you uh, were 100% certain would pan out that did not. Uh, but it, it, it's such a cool ride for... For somebody to watch these guys grow up and, and really grow into themselves. Guys like Acuna, who you had some murmurings about how hard he would hit the ball when he signed, but you didn't really start seeing him fly up boards until, what, probably about 2017, uh, really into 2018. Ozzy Albee's kind of same way, where he's just, I believe he had eight total home runs in his minor league career until he gets to the majors, and all of a sudden he's bopping 25 a year. Uh, just, just really cool to see with a lot of these young guys and for the Braves it's nice to have this many of those prospects pan out at the same time. That's something that just in my limited experience seems nearly unheard of.
1: Yeah, it's definitely tough to do. I mean, there are some teams that, that do a pretty consistent job, but I think the other team you point to is the Dodgers. It seems like really no matter what they're doing, they're always turning out high level prospects and developing them and turning them into um, average or better major leaguers. But you're, you're right. It is a challenge to do that. And, to have a group of players who can kind of come up and be successful at the same time is always the goal and the challenge, and the Braves have definitely uh, nailed that with with hitters and with pitchers.
2: One of the drawbacks to having a whole bunch of the guys come up at the same time is kind of what you're seeing with the Cubs right now, to where everybody is ready and everybody hits at the same time, so everybody's going to hit free agency at the same time. So they're about to have to start to make some really tough decisions uh, in Chicago right now with Theo stepping down and Jed Hoyer stepping in. But the way that the Braves have... You know, they they gave Acuna the contract, they gave Albies the contract, so they don't have to worry about those guys, and they can kind of focus on some of the other uh, non-superstar guys that they have. But to dive right into the list, Baseball America just released its top 10 for the Braves are going through all of MLB right now, and we were lucky enough to have it be our turn. And sitting at the top of the list is Christian Pache. You just mentioned the Dodgers. Pache made his uh, major league uh, debut this season, but he didn't get any meaningful time until the NLCS against the Dodgers when Adam Duvall got hurt. And you've still got him ahead of Ian Anderson, who did, who was number two, but had uh, a couple of weeks at the big league level to establish himself. And I, I personally saw enough out of Anderson to where I could say I was excited about him before, and I'm really excited about him now, but I was curious about you still having Pache in front of him on the list. Did, did he? Did either of them do enough to bump them Into maybe the top 10 as far as league wide, or just what did you see from them that really impressed you uh, for this season?
1: Yeah, no, I think that the one two conversation for the Braves list this year is maybe the most difficult time that I've had in doing top 10s, and that's not just the Braves list, other teams as well. Um, It was very, very close with these two players for me. I think you could make a, a convincing argument for Pache, I think you can make a convincing argument for for Ian Anderson, considering what he did this year, I, I really think you're you're kind of splitting hairs at this point. I wouldn't call you crazy if you had one over the other. Um, for me, we, we kind of lent, we stayed with Pache just because I feel like there's a little bit more safety in this profile in terms of what he's going to be um, at kind of a baseline level. Uh, the, the injury risk with pitchers also was a factor that kind of led me to sticking with Pache here. Um, I still think he has higher upside than Ian Anderson does as well. So I think those are probably the two factors that led me to sing him at one. But I think even, even the Braves as an organization, I think you could talk to people who would have it flip-flop uh, or either or. But I guess we can jump into Anderson. Obviously, he was really impressive, one of the best rookies in baseball this year. We previously had him as uh, kind of having a curveball ahead of the changeup. I know when he was a prep pitcher, the curveball was kind of his bread and butter secondary. But it became pretty clear that the changeup was his go-to pitch. And I think what's what's fascinating about Anderson and what's kind of going to be my question moving forward is he doesn't really have a prototypical wipeout offering. Uh, The changeup played kind of through that level, but it doesn't have like otherworldly movements or spin race or anything like that. I think he's just kind of that pitcher that does a really nice job throwing three different pitches that are all quality pitches from the same arm slot He's got a deceptive delivery. The fastball spin rate is lower than a typical fastball. So I think that adds some deception. Um, And on top of all that, he has really good command. So I think when you pair all of those things together, it helps his entire arsenal play up. I think if you kind of isolate any one of his pitches, you wouldn't automatically think, oh, that's a 70. That's a real wipeout offering. But it's just kind of a combination of everything that he has and how he operates on the mound, I feel like has kind of taken him to another level. And, if you can keep doing this year in and year out, I think the ceiling is going to be a little bit higher than maybe we're expecting and, and what you would maybe think if you just looked at the individual pitch grades.
0: I think for me, you mentioned the the lower spin rates and that had a lot of people, myself included. Uh, kind of questioning whether he was a really top-of-the-rotation type of guy or whether he was eventually going to mm-hmm. settle in more as like a three. Uh, one of the few mm-hmm. like number three overall picks that you slap a 55 grade on uh, when there were some 60 future values after him. But one of the things that I think helps him out is with that low spin rate fastball, I think that personally, and I've ta- we've talked about this a number of times on the show, but I actually think that's what makes his changeup play so much better because when the fastball mm-hmm. and the changeup have such similar spins – coming out of that really high arm slot, it's really hard to pick it up. And it's not a big, like it's not a slow changeup. He throws it about 87. But it's mm-hmm. just enough of a difference to where it still looks just like his fastball. And, and it just goes to show that you don't have to have a ton of velo difference between your fastball and changeup if you've got the the spin and the deception on it right. And it kind of helps. I, I would guess his curve is a pretty low spin curve since more of that 12 to 6 type of spin coming out of that arm slot too. That helps it play up, but I I was blown away by him. I was I was not expecting him to come up and have the command uh to to shut mm-hmm. down that walker. He had a couple outings where he'd go four or five walks in an outing, but it always seemed like he'd have stretches of walks at a time and then he'd go right back to having dialed in command. That wh- what we saw from him during the season was a complete 180 to what we saw in spring training. I think that's a that's a true testament to what Ian was able to put together. But you will be hard-pressed to find two bigger Christian Pache fans than Doc and myself, so I am very happy you had Pache at number one. Um, I was just assuming that if you have two guys that you think are pretty equal talents, you tend to go towards the position player, because they're going to be playing every day and provide more value, especially when you're talking about a center fielder, the likes of of Christian Pache. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And Pache did some nice things, too. I know he had limited time, but I think Myself and really everyone at Baseball America was really impressed with kind of the quality of his at-bats. He was kind of thrown into the fire there in the postseason. I was really impressed with just kind of how he handled himself. Even there were some strikeouts, but he drew a couple tough walks, and just his discipline at the plate and the way he was approaching at-bats was promising. I think one of the big things for Pache for me in the last few years is just the increased physicality that he has. Uh, There were big questions about the, the power he was going to have Um, When he was kind of coming up, everyone has always known about the defensive skill. But he's a really solidly built player now. His raw power is plus. It's just a matter of how complete of a hitter is he going to become. I think he has a chance to be a gold glove type center fielder for a long time. And that has plenty of value no matter um, kind of what he's doing offensively. What could take him to the next level is does he kind of figure out a way to stop uh, exclusively pulling the ball? and use the entire field? Uh, to better make use of his speed, get on base a little bit more. He's never been a super efficient base dealer, if he can improve that as well. I think that's just even more upside that you can kind of figure out with him. But I I like everything that he does, and I love the floor of of a guy who should pretty much immediately become one of the better center fielders in the game.
2: Well, I would like to ask you to put on your GM hat for just one second. Um, So the Braves at number four, they have Shea Langaliers, and at number six, they have William Contreras, and they are both catchers. And by my estimation, I think both of them have the ability to not be a platoon catcher, but to be an everyday catcher, or or most days catcher, because, you know, with your knees, you're going to need a couple days off. If you are Alexandopoulos, or just any GM, which of these two would you, you have to trade one, you have to keep one, which one do you trade, which one do you keep?
1: Yeah, I, I do think you're right that both these guys have have the ability to become everyday guys. Um, that's pretty impressive considering just kind of where catching is at in baseball. Uh, but I think I, I would just go with our list. We have Shea ranked uh, two spots higher. They're very close. Um, I don't think it's a massive gap, but if I do have to pick one to keep, I'll take the guy who I kind of know is a sure thing to be a plus defender. I think Contreras has done a lot to kind of shore up that side of his game. I think he's raised um, his ceiling there on the defensive side, just with the work ethic that he's shown over the past year, year and a half, and the consistency. But Langoliers has the chance to be a guy who really controls the run game at a level that a lot of new catchers just don't, on top of being uh, a pretty terrific framer, blocker, receiver, um, everything else behind the plate. And both these guys, I think, have similar offensive potential, um, although they get to it in different ways. I think both of them have a chance to be average hitters with average or kick more power uh, kind of depending on on how their hit tools develop but i'll go with the guy who i feel has uh, a little bit more impact ability in the glove and the arm and langleier so i have to choose one that's
0: uh that's an interesting one there cuz that doc and i have been putting our gm caps on for pretty much the whole offseason uh, figuring mm-hmm. out if alex is going to have to deal some of these prospects to bring in some some other help towards the team you figure that catcher would be one of the preeminent positions to deal from. Since both of these guys are the type that you think could be uh, the main starter not a 1A to somebody else's 1B somebody that could get 120, 130 starts a season. It kind of gives the Braves a position of strength to deal from, especially when you look at catchers around the league. Now, personally I like William a little bit more Uh, especially, especially the differences he made in his stance and his setup offensively. I think that that was a must for him uh, I think he's able to access a little bit more of that power because I I think he's a little bit stronger, a little bit more more bat speed than a Shea Langlier's. Yeah. But again, Shea is really really young, and I have liked a lot of what he's done too. I think the big difference, and I think you're right that the Braves would probably keep Shea. Uh, you don't draft a catcher at nine if you're like you don't draft a catcher at nine to uh to jump William into motion. You, you drafted a catcher at nine because you weren't sure William was the future, and with Shea being Alex's guy. I think that could kind of make the difference. It's a good spot for Braves for the Braves to be in because you'd feel good with either one of them.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think kind of considering how catches stand out and just the toll of that position, how teams are handling, I don't think there's anything wrong if you want to hang on to both of them. I mean, the Braves in recent years have, have done a really nice job getting value out of multiple catchers and, and getting multiple catchers enough playing time. Um, now if one of these players turns out to be good enough that you you don't want to do that kind of tandem catching thing, then you can kind of work from there and make a decision when you get to that point. But I think for now... Um, having both these guys and seeing what happens is, is just a great
0: spot to be in. Now I'm going to ask you a really tough question here. We, we've started the one player over another. I'm going to keep this going uh, with two guys that had some real major league bright spots and some real major league lows this past season and mm-hmm. the season before. So we saw a number of really good outings from Kyle Wright to in the season. Once he moved to the, to the first base side of the rubber, uh, he kind of had to change his profile as a pitcher a little bit, kind of ditched the four seam, went more with a two seam. Uh, ditch mm-hmm. the slider because it, it's it's really hard to locate a wipeout slider. If you're on the first base side of the rubber, you've just taken down the amount of plate that you can use by about a third, maybe even a half. So he switched more to that curveball, which coming out of Vandy, that curveball was considered on par with the slider. We hadn't seen it as a pro, um, but he had some really good success until the NLCS where he got bombed on. Um, now that can happen to anybody, but uh, it is interesting to note that that is the first game he played this season with people in the stands. Uh, didn't really work out for him then. And then we have Bryce Wilson on the other hand. Uh, the for, Kind of the forgotten guy from that 2016 draft, yeah. uh, taken in the fourth round, you know, behind, uh, behind all these other guys here. And he's just a guy that looks like he was a college senior, but he was a high school guy too. And yet he managed to beat Joey Wentz, Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller. He beat all of them to the majors by posting up some extreme strikeout numbers up through A, some really low walk numbers. It kind of spiked a little bit in AAA where you kind of had to start adding some more off-speed pitches. But you saw him uh, in the postseason just turn in just beautiful performances. And I really kind of think the question now is which one of these guys is ahead of the other one. I know what I've got mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure I know what Doc's going to say, but for for you and, and for the rest of your compatriots over at uh, Baseball America, Which one of these two do you think right now is ahead of the other one? And which one do you think maybe might have shown a little bit higher ceiling?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really interesting conversation because I feel these pitchers are different in a lot of ways. One thing that that I want to point out is Bryce Wilson is still really young. He 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 still hasn't turned 23. I don't think he turns 23 until December of this year. And the fact that he's been in the big leagues and parts of – three seasons as a 23-year-old is really impressive. And I think what that speaks to most of all is that command, and particularly that fastball command. Um, so I do think Wright maybe the a safer bet to be a starter that can log innings for you because of that fastball command and just the consistency he's shown in that area. But I, I still think Kyle Wright has more upside. I think his secondary stuff is more exciting. I think he has more potential to miss bats at a high level than Wilson does. Although they haven't, I think Wilson has actually probably missed more bats in the majors at this point. I think there are a lot of pitchers that we've seen that that don't develop at the rate that you want, or maybe it takes them a little bit longer than you would expect, especially considering Kyle Wright's pedigree. I mean, coming out of the draft, he was thought of uh, by many people as the top pitcher in the class, uh, certainly in the top five overall between the pitchers and hitters in that draft class. So I think if I had to choose one, I would still take right because of that upside and and that ability for him to figure things out and really become like a number two. I think uh, he still has the upside to become that. Um, I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I know people get frustrated with the inconsistencies that he's shown, um, but just a number of pitchers that kind of have to go up in the big leagues and really get, get beaten around a little bit and figure things out and then eventually do figure that out. I wouldn't give up on him just yet. And I think just the The secondary stuff separates it for me. I don't think Wilson's breaking stuff is anything better than average, Um, but I guess it just depends on your case. Would you rather have a guy who has really good fastball command um, above average control or a guy who has been pretty sporadic uh, at times, but has a little bit more upside? That's kind of how I see it, and I'd probably lean towards right, because I think you can still figure some things out.
0: Do you think that Kyle can be successful being on that that far first base side of the rubber and essentially having to kind of ditch that slider? Can he be what everybody thought he'd be coming out of Vandy if he has to ditch that slider?
1: Sure, I think so. I mean, people have to tweak with their their pitch mixes all the time. You never really know what's going to happen. I, I wouldn't want to say that he couldn't do it um, because I do think he is athletic enough, and I do think that he's he's shown it. He's shown it in the past. Um, it's kind of crazy the difference in him in the minor leagues versus him in the majors, whether that's a mental issue, whether that's him trying to be too fine in terms of his demand because he knows he's going to get punished. I'm not sure why exactly that is, but but I do think he can be successful regardless of what side of the rubber he he's standing on. Um, I know JJ probably would be able to go more in depth than this, but I think standing on the rubber is one of his little rabbit holes he loves to go down and, and talk about. But no, I think he can make it work.
2: <laughs> you know, for anybody who's listening, I'm sure that uh, that everybody's got their preference between Wright and Wilson, and I'm sure that there's some, plenty of recency bias in there. I mean, the last time we saw Wright, he was getting just demolished, and the last time we saw Wilson, he was the one doing the demolishing. But with both of them, it just seems like they've both been around for so long, and I know that the way that B.A. does... Uh, prospect eligibility versus the actual league is a little bit different. So I was kind of surprised to see Wilson on the list uh, just because I thought that he had exhausted exhausted his eligibility. But one thing that's true is everybody we've talked about so far, with Pache and Anderson and, uh, you know, Contreras made his major league debut this year. Wright's been around, seemed like forever. Wilson's been around for forever. So all of the fruits of the rebuild are gradually getting plucked off of the tree. And so there's going to need to be a next wave, and I feel like even though the the 2020 draft was truncated, so they only added four different guys, and the 2019 draft was so heavy on the the late round kind of project guys that to the, I hate to use this term, but to the untrained eye, it might seem like the farm system is about to completely fall off the cliff, but I don't really quite see it that way, but I want to kind of get your feedback on who you think some of the the main pieces of the next wave of prospects for the Braves are going to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's a big question for the Braves farm in the future is which one of these young high school guys and do any of these kind of second and third tier college guys in the system, take the, take the next step in each to of their development to, uh, I mean, the system is trending in, in the wrong direction. Like I said, in the chat for the right reasons, there are a lot of these guys in the top 10 and I do think the Braves top 10 currently, Stacked up with some of the better systems in baseball. But after that top 10, I do think it falls off quite a bit, just because there are so many question marks with the guys after that, guys who are further away, guys who um, don't profile well because of the positions they play. Um, There are really not a lot of guys you can point to and say, okay, this is the obvious next man up for the Braves. I think one name who's been popular with Braves fans, and I think popular for the right reasons, is Michael Harris. He is a high school guy who he's um, just outside of the top 10 right now, but probably factor in that 11 to 15 range somewhere uh, when the final list is done. He's probably the most fascinating guy for me in terms of stealing. Um, that's outside of that group. He has exciting raw tools, but it's just missing this season. We don't really get to see what kind of step he's going to take. Um, he has plenty of time to figure things out, but that would be one guy that I pointed to um, after that. I mean, there are some interesting players, um, who were drafted, I believe, in the 2019 draft. You're talking about some of these later high school players who have some upside but are really raw. Um, Tyler Owens is a guy who has some upside. Spencer Strider is a 2020 draftee who we didn't have ranked very highly, but it sounds like we might have been light on him out of the draft. Just has really loud, pure stuff. And the Braves have done a really good job developing pitchers. Um, There are a lot of guys like that, but I don't know that there are any locks that you can really be confident in at this point. It's just a matter of, can the development team of the Braves uh, kind of continue bringing these guys along and, and helping them take the next steps.
0: When you look at a guy like Makai Backstrom, another one of those 2019 high school guys, uh, when, when you see videos of him and you just see the bat speed and just the sound that comes off of his bat, is he a guy that, that you've got earmarked as a sleeper in the system?
1: I mean, he could be. Uh, I think he needs to do more at higher levels to really see what the hit tool is like. I know people are excited for him. We don't have him as like a priority guy at this point. There's a chance he could be, but I think you just need to kind of wait and see more with him. Um, he does have some power. He was interesting out of the draft, um, but we have some other guys in front of him at this point. I would say. How
2: about somebody like Vaughn Grissom, he, he was taking just a couple of couple of rounds ahead of Backstrom.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's another really good one. Uh, we've heard really good things about Vaughn. I think he's shown a, a much more advanced kind of offensive game than you would expect from a guy of his age. He was a guy who was brought to the alt site and and did really well this summer. The team speaks very highly of him. I think just just his approach overall, um, his field to hit, his field for the strike zone has been pretty impressive. So that would be a guy that I pointed to maybe before a guy like uh, Backstrom. Um, Additionally, Grissom has a chance to play shortstop, chance to play second, chance to play third. Um, depending on how the will develops, maybe he he's an everyday guy, but even if he can just become a utility infielder with a with a solid offensive understanding of the game, I think he's got a chance to, to give you some value. He's pretty big, um, so he could grow into some more power as well, but he would be another guy after, um, excuse me, Michael Harris that I pointed to as one of these high school guys that are really interesting in the system. All
0: right, two, two pitchers here. One of them we've talked to you about probably both times you've been on. It's Doc's favorite person in the system, period, and somebody that he's gotten me super high on, Victor Vodnik. Uh, And then a guy that really popped up just from some results at the alternate site in William Woods. Uh, What can you tell us about both of these guys and where do they profile at as, as far as future?
1: Yeah, William Woods is a really interesting one. I think he's a 23rd round pick. Of wasn't really on the radar prior to this year, but we heard really good things as well. He'll be on 30 at some level. The Braves are really impressed with what he did this year. Um, he's got a fastball that gets in the mid to upper 90s. Um, he's got a really good hard slider, and he was working on a changeup as well this summer. So the question for him is what's his role going to be? Um, everyone wants uh, pitchers to start, obviously, but just kind of proving that he can handle that role, I think, is the biggest question for him. There are a lot of people. In the organization that thinks he's a major league arm in some capacity, it's just at this point, do we know what that is? Well, I think, I think the the concerns are kind of what they would always be for a guy his size. Uh, he's really strong, but he's not the biggest guy. So, how does he hold up? He's got big arm talent, obviously, again, a fastball that has a chance to be above average, gets into the upper nineties. He's made some good adjustments in the past, um, but Woods, I think, is probably the biggest pop-up guy. On our list, who wasn't there, this one was kind of in the middle of the list last year. I think Woods is the the guy who, maybe if you just read our list, you didn't know of him, this year he'll be on there.
2: I want to go back to a uh, a draft pick from a couple years ago that was very, very controversial at the time. And that was the pick of Bo Phillip. Uh, He was a second rounder. A uh, lot of head-scratching and uh, a lot of, you know, Braves-don't-know-how-to-draft type feedback from some fans there. I mean, it was a weird pick, but, I mean, you do still have him on here as being the best infield arm, but even for being a college guy, I think he was meant to be a little bit more of one of the project guys as well, even though he didn't go into the uh, 11th through 20th round. Um, is there anything there, Do do you think, or was that just kind of a money-saving pick on its face and behind the scenes too?
1: Yeah, I think the um, slot there was pretty under-slot. I think it's time for like $690,000 or something like that. So it definitely seems like like a pick at the time to move some money around. And I think this pick really kind of highlights the differences in how the Braves are drafting now that Brian Bridges is done as out of Anthopolis is kind of taking the reins in the organization. The Braves have become much more analytically driven in the draft. Um, obviously, every team these days have. have models that they kind of use to help the process, but different teams rely on that model more heavily than others. I would imagine this pick just kind of aligns with that new philosophy a little bit more. The Braves have been a lot more college heavy in the last two drafts than they were previously. Um, Phillip is a nice player. I think the questions with him are always going to be, does he have any offensive value? Uh, playing shortstop is nice and he can do that. He does have good arm strength. I think We even wrote that he was a potential conversion guy because of that arm strength. If he can't hit, maybe you throw him on the mound and see what he can do. Um, But really, there there are some big questions about the bat with him. And until he kind of proves otherwise, I think you kind of limit him to to more of a a lower level guy in the system.
0: Okay, so we know we're running out of time with you. So we got one final thing, and this is going to be a little game that we like to call starter or reliever. Um, we're going to make you go on record here and tell us what you think, and then afterwards, maybe if we have a bone to pick with you, probably going to be me. Uh, we'll, we'll bring it up to you. So, first name on the list, one we've already talked about today, Bryce Wilson, starter or reliever?
1: Um, starter.
0: Alright, my personal pet favorite guy, Waskar
1: Um I have to reserve the right to change this after we finish, but... I'll say Reliever.
0: It hurts my heart there, but okay. Uh, (laughs) Kyle Muller.
1: Kyle Muller. I'll go Reliever.
0: Okay. Uh, Tucker Davidson.
1: Uh, I'm going to go Reliever again. Okay.
0: All right. Final two names on this, Victor Vodnik and Spencer Strider.
1: Okay. Let's just go Relievers on both.
0: So one starter out of that pack, the first one up there. I do have a bone to pick with you about Anoa, though. I, I just want to bounce this off of you because I've been pretty adamant about Waskar. I-, mm. I think the numbers to this point, I don't think he was ready to be in the majors at all. I think the only reason he was there is one, because mm. the Braves had to have some pitching. Two, they had to put him on the 40-man to protect him from the Rule 5. I did not think he was ready to be up there in that capacity. Uh, he He's had a lot of good progress as far as what he's been doing, but the results were not matching his progress at AAA. But Mm -hmm. what you started to see from him at the end of the year, once he started getting a little bit more consistent, kind of led to one of the things that I've been saying, that this kid has maybe the best arm talent, just pure stuff in the system Mm -hmm. remaining. Not talking about Max Fried or Soroka or even Ian Anderson, but Waskar's pure arm talent is pretty unrivaled in the system. The big hang up Mm -hmm. for me, why I've been saying he's probably a reliever is one. There's a lot of other starters in the system and he's already proven he can be a reliever. But two, I believe his outing uh, in the cleanup game. What was it? Game four, maybe game three or game four? Game three, uh, where he—that was the only time I believe he's ever gone more than seventy-five pitches in an outing.
1: Yeah, so I, I think the one of the first things he said, and that is just kind of why a lot of these guys are leaders for me in the system. There are so many starters ahead of them, so like they're to starting kind of relies on the guys in front of them either failing, getting injured or or someone getting traded. So I think it's just easier for a lot of these guys to just take the lever. And a lot of these guys that we're talking about have this stuff to play to the bullpen as well. Um yeah with Hofstra, I think I think you're right. He does he does have the potential to start, but he's a guy who if you look at his walk right throughout his minor league career, it's a lot higher than you would want to see. And I don't I would have to look to see how often guys who throw strikes at that kind of rate and prove at the major league level, I would imagine it's, it's pretty rare. Um, but yeah, I just think for most of these guys, once we get outside of the top arms, like the Ian Andersons and the Bryce Wilsons in the system right now, just given given the people on the roster now given the starters you have, like none of these guys we're talking about are going to get Mike Soroka out of the rotation. None of these guys are moving Max Freed anywhere. So there are just less spots to start. So I think that's kind of where I just care towards reliever for a lot of them. And also, I mean, the value of a reliever in today's game is significantly higher than it used to be. I mean, once once the playoffs come, the third, fourth, fifth starters, they take on maybe just the fourth and fifth starters, but they have much less of a role than your best relievers. So it's not to say that you can't be valuable if you're a reliever by any means. This is
2: true. You know, Waskar could wind up being that 3-4 inning guy who, you know, <clears throat> you hope you don't have to use, but if you need him, then uh, he's certainly there. Um, a a bit of a fireman if you would but Carlos look man we we have taken up even more time of yours than we said that we would I just have one quick question for you we promised you last time we had you on we would get you on in a non-draft capacity and we did that but I do have to look forward to to the 2021 draft a little bit and ask you I know it's really early um, are you starting to see any emerging strengths of this draft is this a high school shortstops draft is this a college pitching draft or can you tell
1: yeah, I think you can tell a little bit more. There's more clarity on the high school class, I would say, just given how the summer worked out. A lot of the big high school events um, remained on the calendar, whereas a lot of the college events like the Cape Cod Lake and USA, were banged. So I think at this point there are more questions about the college class than ever before at this point in time. But The high school class, one of the big strengths is just um, multi-sport athletes Um, and a lot of those athletes are at up the middle positions and typically in a draft class scouts really will judge the strength and weakness on kind of the up the middle athletes of a class. That's normally the, the pedigree kind of premium prospects that they're looking for in the high school class. And I think, I think this class has a chance to deliver. Uh, I do think there's a ton of upside in the college pitching as well. Uh, there are a few guys who we know of as studs right now, guys like Kumar Rocker, guys like Jaden Hill at LSU, Jack Leiter. Those guys are are, are pretty household names at this point. But I also think there are a number of under-the-radar arms who maybe would have broken out with a full 2020 spring season but didn't get a chance to do that. Um, And so they'll have to use the 2021 spring uh, to kind of establish themselves. So I'd say college is a bit more of a question mark than usual, and then high school. Personally, I'm excited about the up-the-middle athletes, which is a good sign for the high school class.
0: There you have it. The best in the business, always giving pertinent info and not a better mind when it comes to the Brave system. Carlos, I know we kept you over a little bit What we said we were going to, but uh, thank you so much for coming on with us again. It is always a pleasure to pick your brain.
1: Yeah, no problem, and, and no worries on going over time. Love talking Braves baseball with you guys, and, and happy to do it. Thanks again for having me on
0: absolutely all right hope you guys enjoyed that episode thank you guys so much and we'll be back here in just a second with episode number two for the day don't go anywhere we'll be right back on the platinum sombrero okay
2: thanks bye